Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Why the timeline for an anticipated recession keeps getting pushed back in the U.S. And how U.S. natural gas exports are finding their way to Europe in record levels. A lot of U.S. energy is propping up Europe right now. So you have a lot of movement happening right now to uh, cash in on that craze for U.S. energy. Plus, a look at the coaching industry for would-be reality TV stars. It's Monday, March 6th. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. This is the PM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories that moved the world today. The next economic downturn has become the most anticipated recession in recent U.S. history. But doesn't it feel like the forecast keeps getting pushed down the line? That's because strong hiring and consumer spending are complicating the economic picture for the Federal Reserve, which has been working to slow the economy by steadily raising interest rates. Wall Street economists had been anticipating a recession by the middle of this year. Now, many think it could take longer for an economic downturn to hit. Our chief economics correspondent, Nick Timoros, says given the resiliency of the economy, the Fed's plans will be front and center when Chair Jerome Powell testifies before Congress tomorrow and Wednesday. The Fed has been anticipating this slowdown as well, even if they haven't been projecting a recession. And so the economy's recent pickup signs that spending and hiring were stronger at the beginning of the year. That's going to delay any deliberations that Fed officials have about when to pause interest rate increases. And the questions now are really around how much higher the Fed will raise rates. And in fact, you know, they they stepped down the pace of increases last month to a quarter point. They raised rates by a half point, a larger increase in December. The Fed's next policy meeting is later this month on March 21st and 22nd. On to business news, it could be a bumpy ride for JetBlue and Spirit. The two airlines are seeking to merge, but we report exclusively that they're expecting the Justice Department to challenge the tie-up. JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes says he expects to get sued by the DOJ in the coming days. A DOJ spokesman declined to comment. The airlines say their $3.8 billion merger will benefit consumers and reduce overall fares. The combination would create the nation's fifth largest airline. WW International, known as Weight Watchers, is buying the digital health company Sequence. The move will allow WW to get into what's become a lucrative market for diabetes and obesity drugs like Ozempic and Wagovi, which doctors can prescribe through telehealth visits on Sequence. WW says it's paying a net purchase price of $106 million. The deal is expected to close in the second quarter of this year. Actor and producer Tyler Perry has expressed interest in acquiring a majority stake of BET Media Group from Paramount Global, according to people familiar with the situation. The discussions come as, according to other sources, Paramount is exploring the sale of its majority stake in BET Media Group, which includes BET and VH1, channels that cater primarily to black audiences. Paramount has made strengthening its flagship Paramount Plus streaming service a priority as it seeks to compete with rivals like Disney Plus, Netflix, and HBO Max. In trade news, the U.S. is seeking formal consultations with Mexico over Mexico's plan to phase out imports of genetically modified corn and other crops from the U.S. 
The ban would have a big impact on U.S. farmers. According to the Agriculture Department, Mexico bought nearly $5 billion worth of corn from the U.S. last year, making it the second largest importer after China. The Mexican Economy Ministry said it will show that there has been no commercial impact from the decree and will seek to resolve its differences with the U.S. And the shortage of accountants in the U.S. has firms boosting salaries and sending work abroad. Becoming a certified accountant requires five years of higher education. Now, the state of Minnesota is rethinking those standards. It's considering bills that would reduce the credit hours required from 150 to 120. Our reporter Lindsay Ellis has more on the plan. These two new pathways would allow graduates to skip the fifth year. Instead, with your bachelor's degree, you could either get two years of professional experience and take the CPA exam, or get one year of work experience, take 120 hours of professional education courses, and take the CPA exam. The biggest issue, according to some national industry groups, with this legislation proposed in Minnesota is whether it would affect the ability of Minnesota CPAs to practice elsewhere around the country or for clients that are based elsewhere around the country. And that mobility is the biggest concern here. In addition to Minnesota, three other states, Ohio, New Jersey, and South Carolina, have alternatives to the 150-hour requirement or are looking to change their rules. Coming up, why more natural gas is making the long journey from the U.S. to Europe. More after the break. Hey, what's news, fans? Listen up. Did you know you can listen to episodes of this very show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? That's right. All your favorite What's News episodes can be heard on Amazon Music ad-free. But that's not all. You get access to other fan-favorite shows like The Daily, Up First, and Fox News Rundown ad-free as well. Amazon Music has all you need to stay up to date on all things newsworthy by offering the most ad-free top podcasts, so we know they definitely have something for you. And it's already included in your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or visit amazon.com slash what's news. That's amazon.com slash what's news. It's just that easy. Russia's invasion of Ukraine upended gas supplies to Europe. Now, more than a year later, U.S. natural gas exports to the continent are reaching record levels. Much of the supply is coming from fracking sites in Louisiana and Texas, and it's heating homes, generating electricity, and powering factories across Europe. Joining me now to explain how is Wall Street Journal reporter Benoit Moren. Hi, Benoit. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's start with the energy situation in Europe. How does it look now more than a year after Russia invaded Ukraine with Russian gas flows to Europe all but cut right now? The situation has markedly improved for uh, Europe energy-wise. As you know, Europe relies on natural gas. It was Russia's largest buyer. And thanks to a combination of things, uh, huge imports of LNG in 22, including from the U.S., a milder uh, winter than what most analysts uh, expected plus uh, the fact that you see governments asking their citizens to reduce energy use, all that combined means that the situation is, is better in Europe now, that uh, storage gas levels are very healthy, 61% full, which is higher than the 10-year average. It seems like you know Europe is seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel. They're not out of the woods yet, though. They will still have to replenish 
that storage in preparation for next winter. And uh, there is still the possibility that you could see a cold snap, for instance, in March, which would translate into more demand for natural gas and, and then higher, higher gas prices. So how does the amount of U.S. energy exports now compare to previous years? Yeah, the U.S. is exporting a lot, a lot of energy. It's really cementing its status as a, an energy superpower. If you look at oil, for instance, the U.S. exported more than 10 million barrels per day of oil and other petroleum products, things like gasoline. That was for December 2022, according to the Energy Information Administration. That is a record year. If you look at gas, natural gas, that is, that was also a record year. So, yeah, a lot of U.S. energy is propping up Europe right now. So what has this meant for U.S. energy companies? Well, it means uh, mountains of cash. It means a lot of money. You've seen all companies report record high profits that ranges from the majors like Exxon and Chevron to the companies that I cover that are slightly smaller, like Pioneer Natural Resources or EOG or Occidental. What it also means is that you see some companies trying to get it on the natural gas export game. You see gas producers trying to sell their gas to export facilities under structures that give them more exposure to higher gas prices in, in Europe. So you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of movement happening right now to uh, cash in on that craze for U.S. energy. So Benoit, where is that gas coming from? Take us through the journey. Yes, it can start in a few locations. You have Appalachia in the east side of the, of the country. You have the Permian Basin of West Texas and New Mexico. And then you also have the Haynesville Basin that straddles Louisiana and Texas that has seen uh, new growth because of its proximity to the Gulf Coast, which is where you have most of the LNG export terminals. The journey starts underground in a, in a gas well uh, that is drilled to extract that molecule. So you have crews that frack the wells uh, using water and sand and chemicals to prop the rock open and get those molecules. From there, the gas is um, sent via small diameter pipelines to a processing plant where it is treated to remove some impurities. And after that, it's sent to export facilities and there you have like essentially giant fridges that refrigerate the gas into a liquid state that, it's, that is 600 times denser than its gaseous state. And then it is shipped onto specially designed LNG tankers that take the gas wherever you know, the, the price is the, the highest usually. That's the way it works, at least for U.S. contracts that allow buyers to send the gas wherever. It could be Asia and last year. That was Europe. And then once it gets to Europe, where is it regasified? So there are a number of uh, facilities studying the European shorelines that do that. The opposite of what happens at the liquefaction plant happens, which means that the gas is, is heated up to be returned to its uh, uh, gas state, and then it's sent down via pipelines to be consumed by by residents that use it for cooking, to power plants that use it to generate electricity, to factories that use it as feedstock to make goods or to power their uh, facilities. But with the war in Ukraine and the fact that Europe cannot rely on Russian gas as much as it used to, if at all, 
you've seen sort of a mad scramble to put online more of these facilities. So for instance, Germany was, as of last year, working to complete three facilities. And usually what those countries will do is that they will uh, charter boats that double as floating regasification platforms, which makes it a bit less taxing infrastructure-wise. So you've described a very long journey for this product. What does the future of this look like? Do we see this changing in the near term or this going on for a while, this trend? Right. Well, the, the expectation is that the U.S. is going to keep on supporting Europe's energy needs for the foreseeable future. The big unknown is as to you know, how long that goes on for, uh, and whether you see eventually some Russian gas returning to Europe, uh, and whether Europeans become more willing to take on more fossil fuels, because um, as you know, the European Union has very ambitious goals to achieve uh, net zero by 2050, which makes them very reluctant to take on more fossil fuels. But at the same time, there's the fact that Europe has to prepare for the next two, three, four uh, winters. I've been speaking with Wall Street Journal reporter Benoit Moren. Benoit, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And you can see the journey natural gas takes from the U.S. to Europe in our illustrated story on WSJ.com. And finally, competition to make it onto reality TV shows like Survivor and The Amazing Race has been heating up for some time. To meet this demand, a cottage industry of coaches, including former casting directors, is cropping up to cash in and help hopefuls get cast. These coaches give their clients feedback on applications and help guide them through the process and boost their chances of making the cut. Wall Street Journal contributor Daryl Austin says as networks place more emphasis on reality programming, competition has only gotten tougher. Reality television shows are getting viewed by a lot more people and networks are marketing them and pushing them a lot. And so people are seeing opportunities there that they hadn't before. Also, with the rise of the influencer industry, this is a way of jumping in front of millions of people that wouldn't see you otherwise and getting a potential massive following right out the gate. And so... People want that initial base, and that's really hard to establish on social media. And getting a gig on a reality television show is going to land that. And that's what's news for this Monday afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow morning. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.